Our scripture reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have their holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. We're going to talk about what this means. We're going to talk about Jesus among the poor this morning. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for allowing us to gather here on this beautiful morning. We share a common desire in that we long to know Jesus and to know him better, to know him more deeply. And so we want to listen to his words. We want to consider their impact on us and how we live today. Grant us wisdom. Grant us your spirit to guide us day in and day out, that we'd make wise choices, that we'd invest our time and our resources in ways that you want to, want us to. And we also ask that you'd open our eyes to see the opportunities before us. Thank you for meeting us in so many ways already through our worship, through our celebration of communion, through all the things we've been hearing about. Now let us learn together and hear from Jesus in his name. Amen. Our topic this morning is Jesus Among the Poor. This is part four of this He Gets Us series that we're in. And as I was preparing for this, there were two images that caught my attention that have stayed in my mind over the last few days as I've been wrestling to put this particular message together. And uh, you perhaps heard of this He Gets Us concept for the first time if you were watching the Super Bowl. There were a couple of ads that that began to uh, circulate this image through uh, our country. The first image that focused, that, that settled in my mind is one of the He Gets Us photos that appeared on a billboard or an LED screen in New York, New York City. This is it. And, and so it says, you know, Jesus welcomed the poor. Not what you typically imagine to see if you're going through Times Square or someplace like that, but this is probably either a billboard or more likely an LED screen, and it had that concept on it. And I was thinking about that one. I would imagine there are many urban New Yorkers who have seen sites like this many times. But what captures our attention is connecting the idea of people who are poor in this world to Jesus, that Jesus welcomes the poor. The second image is the one that I used for the backdrop for today's message title page, and this one depicts a homeless man sitting on a street with an image of Jesus looking over his shoulder. Now, my best guess, having looked at this for a while, is that this was photoshopped. The, the image over his shoulder appears like a slide, and it seems to flow on top of the storefront, over the window, and down onto the cobblestones, which tells me this isn't a natural setting. This is somebody uh, photoshopping that onto the image. And despite the realization that this is photoshopped, this held my attention for quite a while. There's something arresting about the thought of Jesus looking over this man's shoulder. Perhaps it's the projection of this man's plea or his prayer. 
But when I was looking at it, I heard the words of James Taylor playing in my head. Won't you look down upon me, Jesus? You've got to help me understand. And very often people find themselves in that reality with that thought. So I wanted to share these two images with you because they're playing in my mind as we move into week four of this He Gets Us theme. And our topic today is Jesus Among the Poor. Let me say good morning to all of you, to those of you who are in the room here today, to those of you who are watching online as well. Welcome to our time of corporate worship and reflection. I'm so glad that you are here today. For more than three decades, we've been trying to create a safe place where people can hear and consider the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And that goes for all of us, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, we are doing this again today. I hope that you will make the most of this. If you weren't prepared for communion and you're watching at home, you can have your own communion service as we end this service today. Uh, if, if you are a newer to North River, I hope that you'll grab a connection card out at the booth or that you'll click that link online and, and that you'll fill that out. We'd love to begin the dialogue with you and, and get to know you a bit better. The question I have this morning is, what do we learn from Jesus among the poor? Four thoughts. I'm going to streamline this a little bit. I know we're running along, and I'm conscious of that. You're conscious of that. So I'm just going to edit a little bit as we go along here. Here's the first thought. Jesus chose poverty as a way of life. We, we don't think of most people choosing poverty, but Jesus specifically chose poverty as a way of life. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58 say, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So Jesus here is claiming that he had no permanent home, no place to lay his head. He was continually on the move during his three public ministry years. We only see him returning to Nazareth one time during these years. The closest thing that he had to a home base was the town of Capernaum, the fishing village where some of his disciples hailed from, and where several of his earliest miracles took place. In another sense, Jesus chose poverty when he came into this world. He was born to a poor family. Joseph and Mary gave a poor family's offering when he was dedicated. Two pigeons. That was the least that was allowable for a dedication service in the temple. They were poor, but they were not destitute. Joseph worked in the trades. The word that describes him meant that he would have been a carpenter, a stonemason, or a builder, or perhaps a jack-of-all-trades doing all three. Yet, he was also descended from a line of kings. However, Jesus was born in a stable and laid in a borrowed feeding trough that we typically call the Christmas manger. Jesus expected his followers to prioritize mission over wealth because that's what he did. He followed his statement about the Son of Man having no place to lay his head with this odd challenge to let the dead bury their own dead. Have you ever wondered what that meant? Why he would say something like that? Now, this is an outrageous statement from Jesus. It was intended to grab hold of our attention. Of course, he knew that the dead are physically incapable of burying their own dead, but his statement was another appeal to absurdity, like the one we looked at last Sunday about the plank in your eye. He was responding to a person who pledged that he would follow Jesus wherever he goes, but 
First, he asked to be allowed to bury his father. It seems like an odd request. This doesn't seem to mean that this person's father died that day and there was a funeral service coming the very next day. Rather, what he was doing, doing was dodging the requirement or the responsibility of the statement that he'd made that he'd follow Jesus wherever he goes and saying, I mean that, Jesus, I really mean it, but after all of my other responsibilities are out of the way. So in other words, after mom and dad die, whether that's two years from now or five years from now or 20 years from now, I'm with you, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus understood that money often distracts people from God's priorities. He was stating that following him requires a reprioritization of life's goals where serving the kingdom of heaven takes first place among our priorities. Okay, why does something like this matter? The entire Christian story is that God entrusted his very own son to those who were acquainted with the struggles of life. Though the world was made by him, Jesus was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Yet Jesus rose to greatness from a slice of life that did not suggest this because he didn't have an easy start. His humble start and his ministry years suggest that Jesus understood the plight of the poor and he was calling all of his followers to put pursuing Jesus and the kingdom ahead of everything, including our financial goals and plans. Second discovery. The poor were on his mind. In Luke chapter 4, we read this scene where Jesus came back to his hometown. It says, he, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, there was more to that quote from Isaiah, but it's fascinating, that's where it starts. And so Luke records how Jesus launched his ministry that day at his hometown in Nazareth. And he reads those prophetic words from Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah. These words were inaugurating the beginning of his ministry as he was not coming in power and might, but by proclaiming good news for the poor. The poor were also on his mind when he began the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the most famous speech ever given, the most quoted speech of all time. And Jesus begins this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Although his words went far beyond mere poverty, the poor were again on his mind that day. Poor in spirit suggests a kind of poverty that goes beyond simply not being rich. Poverty of spirit can apply to all kinds of people. The poor, the discouraged, the downtrodden, people have had the hope kicked out of them for one reason or another, or in one way or another. Poverty of spirit suggests a state of being that is extremely hard to break from. Poverty of spirit can apply to people from every walk and status of life, not just to the poor, but perhaps even more to the poor. While Jesus cared about physical poverty, his primary purpose was to lift people out of spiritual poverty. That's why he said things like, it's harder for a rich man to pass through, uh, to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Sometimes all those things that we have get in the way where those who don't have as much can see more clearly. 
Here's the third discovery on this theme. Poor people were often used by Jesus as examples for the rest of us. So in Luke chapter 21, we find this scene. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people, he says, gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, and she put in all that she has to live on. Jesus noticed this widow's offering that day. He's sitting there with the disciples, and he's watching the scene play out in the temple. Uh, the scholars say that there was a collection box that was made out of brass, and it, it sounded almost like a trumpet when people bang their coins off of that. And you could tell what they were giving by the thickness or the weight of the coins and the heaviness of the metal. You could tell how much they were giving. And he heard this little clink, clink, clink as these two small copper coins the lowest on the scale of monetary value in that system began to find their way into that offering box. Sometimes Jesus seemed to display supernatural understanding of people's thoughts. This situation didn't seem to require that because the temple treasury box was allowing them all to kind of observe what was happening and the, the giving patterns. And some of the wealthy like to make a big deal and... and blow their trumpets, so to speak, and let everybody know how much they were giving. Those who lingered to notice would hear the difference in the sound quality that came from the heavier coins and the lighter coins and those of lesser value. Yet Jesus went beyond the obvious here. He may have noticed the way that this woman moved, the way she dressed. Did she wear a widow's black garments? Was her clothing old or tired? We don't know, but... It seems like he understood who she was right away. Maybe it was her station in life that gave away her plight. Yet it was her generosity that attracted Jesus. It was her generosity that rose above all those who gave out of their plenty and gave out of their wealth. And that day, Jesus praised her as giving greater, in a greater way than all the rest. This is one of the few times I can think of where, when Jesus praised how much a person gave in the offering. He praised Zacchaeus, the converted tax collector, for giving away half of his wealth to the poor after he'd had conversion. But we know that Zacchaeus had been corrupt and, in effect, stolen a lot of that money. So we would hope that he would have some grand gesture like that. Well, Jesus talked about money a lot. Sometimes he let us know that Money offers a measure of the heart's condition. He said things like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But it was rare for Jesus to comment on how much anyone contributed to God's work. In Luke 16, we find a beggar named Lazarus who is contrasted with a rich man. The rich man was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury, while Lazarus begged for crumbs and was covered with sores. That's the picture Jesus paints for us. And then you get to the end of his parable of these two men, and the rich man ends up in Hades. When Lazarus died, he was comforted at Abraham's side. We're not told much about their lives. We're not told why each man ended up where they did. But when the rich man pleads for pity, he asks if Lazarus could just drop from his finger a, a simple drop of water 
to cool his tongue. He's reminded that he received many good things in life while Lazarus received only that was, which was bad and difficult. The main difference between the two seems to be that Lazarus listens to Moses and the prophets during his life and the rich man did not li listen and he did not repent for his way of life. According to the way that Jesus saw the poor as examples, it would be wise for us to recheck our assumptions in this day of affluence. In our day, poor people are often looked down upon in our society, but this was never true of Jesus. Jesus associated with and was at great ease with the poor. Is that true for us today? Poor people were often examples of great faith. Do we see it that way too? Here's the simple idea that I want to get across this morning. Spending time with Jesus turns our hearts toward those in need because Jesus gets the poor. He really does. If you're struggling today, I want you to know something. Jesus gets you. And it may be that he sees your faith in the way that you hang on and the way that you respond. And he knows what's going on in your heart even while everybody else doesn't fully understand. Here's the fourth discovery. Jesus viewed treatment of the poor as a test of the heart. I know that my message this morning is somewhat topical and I'm bouncing from text to text, but because I'm tracing this theme and I've been wrestling with this week, this, this theme all week long about scenes where Jesus was comfortable and involved with people who were on the poorer side of life. And it becomes obvious that Jesus viewed treatment of the poor as a test of our hearts. In Matthew 25, there's a scene where towards the end of his public ministry, Jesus is with some of the disciples and they're asking questions about what it will be like when the end of the age comes. And he tells three parables and the third one is this parable where there's a king who comes and he separates the sheep and the goats at the end of life. At the end of the parable, Jesus says this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. So here in Matthew 25, as Jesus was teaching about the end of the age when the Messiah King returns... He likened the king's actions to separating sheep from goats at the end of the day. Shepherds would do this on a regular basis every night in order to protect the sheep from the more rambunctious goats as they slept. The deciding factor had to do not merely with what people said or believed, but how they put those beliefs into practice. The evidence that they spent time with, heard, and truly followed Jesus was seen by how they treated groups that Jesus defined as the least of these. And that list was very inclusive, included uh, how we feed the hungry, how we uh, give drink to those who are thirsty, how we welcome the stranger, how we clothe and nourish the sick, and how we look after prisoners. Unfortunately, they're all people that were very capable of forgetting or of just not seeing. This final declaration from Jesus in this third parable here 
at the end of Matthew 25, would land like a sledgehammer. Jesus was in effect saying that his true followers are identified from those who are merely along for the ride by how we treat others in his name. And so Jesus made our treatment of the poor, the sick, and the prisoner a test of the heart. The point wasn't about any one person covering and caring for all of the people on this list. You couldn't do it if you wanted to. I couldn't do it if I wanted to. The point was that spending time with Jesus begins to change our hearts and it directs our hearts toward developing patterns of care for those who are in need. When people matter to Jesus, they begin to matter to us too. There are a number of ways that we could work this kind of pattern of care into our lives. One would be responding with appropriate care for those who are in our path. Just opening our eyes and deciding on this day there, there is an act that I will, I will take to provide something that helps along the way. Another might be supporting people or organizations who follow the call to make that kind of serving a priority in their lives or a priority in their, in their mission and career. A third way might be rolling up our sleeves on mission trips and days when we serve those in need. <laughs> so Todd's interview with Deborah from the Brookview House is perfect for this message today. Go Team's outreach to moms at Brookview House in Dorchester is a perfect opportunity for us to get involved in doing something that Jesus cared about. If you can't make this one, make every effort to join the next effort that we have. Another way might be giving financially to support the efforts of those who go where we cannot go. But Jesus says this is a test of the heart, that somehow this registers in our lives. It's not just something that we skip over and don't see. In fact, it's something that we see more and that we respond to. Why? Spending time with Jesus, like we're trying to do right here this morning, and worshiping and looking into his word and communion and singing praise to him, spending time with Jesus naturally turns our hearts toward those in need because Jesus gets the poor because Jesus chose to enter the world as one of the poor. So every week, we're seeing that Jesus gets us. The return question is always, do we get Jesus? Really? I wonder if you'd uh, pray a final prayer with me. It's a simple one. Sometimes when I get stuck in prayer, I've been reading from some prayer books, and a friend of mine recommended this one to me. It's called Canyon Road, a book of prayer, but it has a bunch of short prayers, and I put it in your notes, and hopefully it's going to flash up behind me uh, as well. Shine your light, Jesus. What do you have for me today? Shine your light, Jesus. Show me the way. In his name, amen.